0: Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, on this very special day when we celebrate our high school graduates. Um, I want to share a word from my heart, students, with you, but I want to share a word with all of us this morning uh, as we look together at God's Word. Several years ago... The Washington Post published an interview with legendary Hollywood actress Shirley MacLaine. And in that interview, Shirley MacLaine was asked to talk about life. What life was all about. What gave life meaning and purpose. What is it really that people live for? And Shirley MacLaine's synopsis of life was this. If you have your message guide with you this morning it's written there for you but I'm going to read it verbatim I want you to hear it Shirley MacLaine said this about life and I quote the most pleasurable experience of life is through yourself the only sustaining love involvement is with yourself When you look back over life and try to figure out where you've been and where you're going. When you look at your work and your love affairs, your marriage and your kids, the pain and the happiness. When you examine all of that closely, what you find out is that the only person you really go to bed with is yourself. You find out that all you're really working for is the consummation of your own identity. So, I think of life now as a wonderful play that I have written for myself, and my purpose is to have the utmost fun playing my part, End quote. You know, Shirley MacLaine is not alone in her commitment to that kind of pursuit. In many ways... It is the philosophy of our day. We are immersed in a culture where people are committed to themselves who openly flaunt the fact that they are number one in their own lives. People who say, you know, if I don't look out for myself, nobody else is going to. So my life will be given to the pursuit of my own desires, and the enhancement of my own agenda. Life is my play to write, and I will write it for myself, and my goal will be to have as much fun as I can possibly have until the curtain finally drops on the stage and my life is over. You know, like all patterns of thought in a culture, this kind of thinking has begun to work its way into the church and into Christianity. Now, it has crept in slowly and subtly through unguarded doors and undisciplined lives, but I want you to know this morning, it is threatening the very foundation of of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you students this morning, especially, and I say it to all of us, but to you especially, you can change this. And I hope you will change this. Several years ago, it's been quite a few years now, I put on my South Carolina Guard uniform, strapped a parachute to my back, and jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. Not once, but five times, because I wanted to earn my airborne wings. I thought it was a pretty neat thing. My wife, Ruth, however, had a different idea about that. I never will forget her words of encouragement and exhortation to me as I walked out the door. They went something like this. Well, if you break your silly neck, don't come home crying to me. That's what she said. (laughs) But you know, that experience really begs a question this morning because when I jumped out of that plane, I was doing something that went pretty much against a fairly well developed and carefully cultivated sense of self preservation. You know, it's not natural to jump out of an airplane. It's counterintuitive in many ways to what's safe, to what's reasonable, to what's rational. So why did I do that? I did it because as a soldier, even a part-time one, I understood that my calling and my commission as a soldier meant I could not always do what I needed to do from a place of safety. And a place of comfort and a place of security. You see, the calling of a soldier means that there are times when you have to take risks. You have to let go of airplanes, you have to let go of safety. Sometimes you have to let go of your life because of a greater calling. So I want you to look with me this morning at a single verse of Scripture. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, and I really want you to compare them and contrast them to the words of Shirley MacLaine. Paul said this, Acts 20, 24. I don't care about my own life. The most important thing Is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. These are radical words because Paul says something that goes against everything that many people think is logical preferable, rational, Paul says, I don't care about my own life. Now, hear those words. I don't care about my own life. What was was wrong with Paul? Was something wrong with him here? Did he have a low self-esteem Did he have some kind of psychological problem when he said, I don't care about my own life? What did Paul mean when he said that? Well, Paul didn't mean that his life wasn't important. His life was given to him by God, therefore it had intrinsic value and worth. Paul didn't mean that his life wasn't important. However, he understood that there was something that was more important than his life and that was his mission. Do you understand this morning that if you name the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of life, you have been given a mission and that mission is more important than anything else. Completing that mission is more important than anything else. Paul understood that. He understood that God had given him a mission and that mission was important and it became the central focus and passion and pursuit of his life. What is the mission Paul is talking about? Well, he tells us He says, the most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. Now listen, we need to understand what this means. The mission is more than evangelism. It is more than just verbally telling people about Jesus. That's a critical component of it. He said, that's my mission to tell people the good news of God's grace, but it's allowing God to take my life It's allowing God to take my life's energy. It's allowing God to take my life's focus and use all that I am as a vehicle for his glory. That's the mission. And Paul says this mission is more important than anything else. Paul actually says it's so important that compared to the mission, I don't even care about my own life for my own life will be given to this mission of bringing glory to God through everything that I am and all that I have. So Paul said in another place, 1 Corinthians 6 20, he helps us understand why this is important. He says, God bought you with a great price. So every part of your body needs to be given back to God to bring glory to him. Why? Because he owns it. Our lives are not our own lives to spend in pursuit of our our own desires and our own passions. It means here that, that life is not my play to write. It's God's play to write. And so Paul says, when I look at my life, I can honestly say, I don't care about my own life, not because my life isn't important, but there is something more important. Now, when Paul talks about the mission being more important than his life, what does he mean? Well, he could mean a couple of things. Number one, he could mean that the mission is more important than living leisurely or comfortably. Or he could mean... That the mission is more important than living at all. But whatever it means, it means that it is not my purpose as an actor in this play called Life to have fun. And it's not my purpose as an actor in this play to do what I want to do. My purpose is to carry out the mission. And I want to tell you, that requires from you and it requires from me a completely different mindset, a completely different way of thinking, a way of thinking that's counterintuitive. It goes against what many people will say is logical and rational. And let me tell you this, it can be costly. So I want to talk to you this morning, students and all of us, about something that Scripture calls sacrifice. I'm going to talk to you about sacrifice, and I need to say to you right out of the gate that this is not a popular topic in Christianity. It is occasionally popular in our culture as we see law enforcement officers, firefighters, first responders, military, healthcare workers, putting their lives on the line during a time of crisis. We've, we're, we're all used to seeing that now in this new reality of, of COVID-19. So it's occasionally popular in our culture, but let me tell you, it is often a different story when we try to bring this concept of sacrifice into our understanding of what it really means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? Pastors are really reluctant to preach on this. Church members get really uncomfortable and nervous about it. But can I tell you something this morning and have you receive it with spiritual ears? When we lose a heart for sacrifice. When we step back from that threshold. When we want life to be predictable and safe and comfortable. When we want to hold on to life instead of letting go of life. When we step back from that threshold, we cut out the very heart of what it means to be the people of God in a godless culture. We cut the heart out of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to look at this concept of sacrifice with you for just a moment this morning because it's, it's greatly misunderstood in our culture and even in Christian circles today. When we hear about it, we usually hear, okay, sacrifice. I, I guess I need to be willing to give something up so that something greater can happen. That's noble. And that's not incorrect thinking, it's just very incomplete thinking. It's not fully biblical thinking. Let me give you the biblical meaning of sacrifice this morning. In order to understand that, we need to go back to the Latin roots of our English word sacrifice. It it really comes from two different Latin words. The first one, sacra or sacra, meaning sacred or holy. The second word, fisio, which means to make. So if you put those two words together, you understand that the word sacrifice means to make something sacred. It means to make something holy. So we need to understand that as God's people today. God's Old Testament people certainly understood that. The Israelites understood that God at certain times and at regular intervals required his people to go to their flocks, go to their herds, take out a sheep. Take out an oxen, take out a bull, and carry that to the temple where the priest would sacrificio it. He would make it holy by giving it back to God. And they didn't just give the leftovers, they were required to give the best that they had, the best of their flocks, the best of their herd. And that sacrifice was something that was made holy because it was given to God for his use. We see it over and over again in the New Testament as well. Here's several examples. John chapter 12, we find the story of Mary of Bethany, this woman who who possessed this, this container of incredibly expensive perfume worth a year's wages. And she brought that offering, that sacrifice, and she poured it out on the head and the feet of her Lord Jesus. It was a sacrificio. It became a holy thing. It became a sacred thing because she let go of it for herself and she lavished it upon her Savior. In Mark chapter 12... One of my favorite stories, we see Jesus sitting outside the temple treasury where he was watching, observing to see what people would give back to God. And he watched all these wealthy folks as they came through and they made a big show of throwing their offering into the collection box so that it made all kinds of noise. And they were putting in a portion of their great wealth. And Jesus was totally unimpressed with that exhibition because these people were giving God their leftovers. They were giving God what they didn't need and would really never miss. But then, into the temple courtyard walked a frail widow. And in her gnarled and twisted hands, she held two copper coins worth less than a penny. And she dropped those coins into the collection box. And Jesus leaped to his feet and he said, Look at that. This poor woman has given more than all the rest of these people combined. The disciples, of course, were confused. They were bewildered. They thought, what in the world? How can this be? And Jesus said, let me tell you something. Everybody else, all the rest, they gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. She took literally All that she had and made it a sacrificio. She gave it back to God. She made it holy. She made it sacred because she let go of it. She gave it back to God. In Acts chapter 2 and again in Acts chapter 4 we read where these early Christians would on occasion sell their homes, sell their land, sell their possessions. And they would bring that money to the apostles so that it could be used for the work of the ministry. It was a sacrificio. It was a holy thing. It was a sacred thing because these followers of Christ were willing to let go of what they had and give it to the Lord for his glory and for his mission. They gave out of their very lives. And then in Acts chapter 12, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us, That as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to present our own bodies to God. We are to place our very lives on the altar as a sacrificio. We are to let go of our lives, make our lives holy, make our lives sacred by giving them back to God for his use, giving him all that we are and all that we have so that we can become vehicles for his glory. We do this for the sake of the mission. The ancient church historian and theologian Theodorus tells the story of a 4th century Asiatic monk by the name of Telemachus. Telemachus lived in a remote monastery where he did what monks do, (laughs) raising vegetables for the cloister kitchen, spending a lot of time in meditation and living a simple life, praying, studying God's word. One day as Telemachus was praying, he felt God speak into his life and say, Telemachus, I want you to go to Rome. And that day Rome was the capital of the world Telemachus had no idea why God would be calling him to go there. But as he continued to pray, God's word became more and more clear to him. He didn't know why he was going, he just knew God said go. So, a bit bewildered, Telemachus took all of his earthly possessions, which weren't much put them in a small pack, slung them across his back, and began the long westward journey over the dusty roads to the city of Rome. He didn't know what he was going to find when he got there. He still didn't know why God was telling him to go. He just knew God was saying, go. So he went. He arrived in Rome during holiday season The streets were crowded, there was a carnival atmosphere, the Romans were celebrating their victory over the Goths, and so there was sort of a jubilant commotion all over the city. Telemachus began to look around to see if by chance he might discern what it was God had brought him there to do. He didn't know anybody in Rome. There was no one from his particular monastic order that he could turn to for counsel, But since he'd arrived at festival time, he began to sense that maybe, just maybe, his calling had something to do with that. So he began to let the crowds guide him. And he was sort of swept away by these vast throngs of people as as they wound their way through the streets of Rome until finally he found himself standing beside the great Roman Colosseum. Suddenly he could could sense a nervous anticipation in the crowd. He could hear the roar of of the wild animals that they kept underneath the Colosseum grandstands. Finally, he was literally propelled into the Colosseum itself. He didn't know what was about to happen, but he had a sudden premonition of terrible violence. And he would not be wrong. For the crowds had come to cheer on the gladiators, these men who, for no other reason than amusement, murdered each other. In that great Roman Colosseum, human life was offered as entertainment for the Roman emperor and for the citizens of Rome. And as Telemachus stood there and watched, he saw two muscular gladiators approach the emperor, stand in front of him and say, we who are about to die, salute you. Telemachus knew he couldn't stand still and watch such savagery. And he also knew he couldn't walk away and pretend he was never there. So he jumped up on the perimeter wall of the arena and he cried out as loudly as his little voice would let him In the name of Christ, forbear. Don't do this. The fighting began, of course. Nobody paid the least bit of attention to this tiny little Telemachus. They didn't pay any attention to his puny cries. So he pattered down the stone steps and he leaped onto the sandy floor of the arena. He made a very comic figure there, this scrawny monk in his worn-out, Monk's clothing. And the spectacle was made even more ridiculous when Telemachus actually tried to force his way between these two muscular gladiators and push them apart. Well, one of the gladiators sent Telemachus sprawling with a thrust of his shield. But he cried out again In the name of Christ, forbear! Don't do this in the loudest voice he could muster. Now the crowd had begun to get into the spectacle. They began to laugh and some actually began to urge the little monk on thinking he was part of the entertainment. And as Telemachus continued to try to to intervene, his presence there impeded the movements of one of these gladiators who was barely able to avoid a thrust from his opponent In fury, he turned on Telemachus, and now the crowd even began to cry out for the little monk's blood. So this gladiator took his sword, raised it up, and brought it down across the chest and into the stomach of Telemachus, and the little monk went down. But as he went down, he cried again, in the name of Christ, forbear. A sudden silence enveloped the crowd as they stared at at the still form of Telemachus there on the suddenly crimson-colored sand. Various stories follow as to exactly what happened next. Some people say that in the stunned silence, every individual in that Colosseum stood up and filed out. Others say that the Roman emperor Honorius was so impacted by Telemachus' martyrdom that he determined he would issue a decree stopping the gladiatorial games forever, which he did at a later date. Regardless of what happened, here's the fact. The greatest empire on the face of the earth was changed that day radically by a tiny, frail servant of the Lord who was willing to take his life and make it a sacrificio, a holy thing, a sacred thing, because he gave it back to God. Students to you and to everyone else here this morning, you need to understand that somewhere on a continuum between Shirley MacLaine on one hand and Telemachus on the other, somewhere on that continuum, every one of us walks today. Somewhere. And my observation is that many of us walk much closer to Hollywood than we do to holiness. We walk much closer to self than we do to sacrifice. And like Telemachus, God is calling out to every one of us today and His voice is very clear clear. I have a mission for you. You need to give me your life. You need to give me your life's energy. You need to give me your life's focus and direction, your life's passion, your future, your hopes, and your dreams. And you need to give them to me because this is not your play to write. This is God's play to write. And your life and my life, if we're going to ever make a difference, your life and my life need to become that sacrificio, that holy thing, that sacred thing. Because today, right now, we give it back to God for His glory. If there was ever a day When our culture and our world needs difference-makers, it is today. It is now. And it will never happen until we embrace this biblical concept of sacrifice, of taking our lives, all that we have and all that we are, and giving them back to God so that we become a vessel for His glory. I don't care about my own life, not because it's not important, but because there's something more important, the mission. And I want to encourage you students, wherever you're headed, whatever your vocational pursuit may be, to begin this journey by placing your life on this altar of sacrifice and becoming That sacrificio, becoming a holy thing, becoming a sacred thing, because you give your life back to God. And I want to say something to the rest of us as well. It's going to be a lot harder for these students to see themselves doing that if they don't see us doing that. Let's pray. Father, In these moments, we ask you to take our lives, all that we are, all that we have, and use them as vehicles for your glory. Lord, please guard our hearts. Help us to realize and reject, with joy even reject, the fact that life is not our play to write. It is your play and you have already written it. You already know your plans for our lives. You have already given us your mission. And as I think about these students looking at their Slides there as they're going into so many different fields, pursuing so many different vocations. God, I thank you for that because we need Christ followers in every area of the marketplace, every single place in education, in healthcare, in media, in the business world, in the classroom. God, we need Christ followers everywhere. Men and women who will say, my life is not my own. I have been bought with a great price. Therefore, I will glorify God with all that I am and all that I have. I will give my life back to Him to be a vessel for His glory. For the sake of the mission, I place my life on the altar. God, I pray you'll take these students and you will thrust them out into our communities and our nation and even among the nations to be genuine, real, radical difference makers that they would be able to embrace what Paul embraced. <laughs> I don't care about my own life. What I care about is the mission. And it is in giving up life that they will really find life. It is in giving up life that we will really find life. And help us, Lord, to make that difference, wherever it may be, whatever it might cost. For your honor and your glory, for the sake of your mission, is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing. We're going to sing together this morning. These altars are open. If you just want to come and say, Lord, this morning, I just, here it is. All that I am, all that I have, I give back to you. I know my life's important because you gave it to me, but the most important thing's the mission. And I want to spend my life in pursuit of that for your honor and your glory. Take me and use me. May I make a difference where you lead me from this day forward is my prayer. This altar is open if you want to come and just spend some time with the Lord there. If I can pray with you, I'll be honored to do that. But as God leads right now, would you respond as he speaks to your heart as we sing?